Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Should we get you the information on that? All right. So let's do this. Let's jump into what we're doing today. We are continuing a series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And uh, I think it's interesting how, for the most part, all of us are living a pretty decent life. Like we're here in America, and we're kind of living the American dream, at least parts of it, and we're, we're doing, doing pretty well. And yet, as good as our lives can be, we still find things to complain about, don't we? We still find things that, that, that bug us. The, the, they could be big things, they, the, but more often than not, they're, they're small things that really get to us. Why is that? Why is it that when everything is going well, that the smallest things cause us to drift left of center and out of God's will for our lives. Robs us of our peace, robs us of our joy. We wind up complaining. We wind up forgetting how good God is. Why do we let that happen to us when the smallest negative things come into our lives? Why are our minds like this? Well, the answer is found in what do we know about our minds? Is that our mind is a battlefield and that most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. That's where you will win them. In fact, we've been saying it this way uh, for the past couple weeks as we've been in this series. The life you have is often a reflection of the thoughts that you think. The life you have is often a reflection of the thoughts you think. So what comes into your mind tends to come out in your life. It also means that you cannot have a positive life if you have negative thoughts. And so we're going to keep on in this series of winning the war in your mind. And the key, one of our key verses uh, for us has been 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And it says this, and this is the Apostle Paul writing this to the church at Corinth. And he says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. So if the battle is happening in our mind, the way the rest of the world does it should be the way that we walk away from. Right? He's like, we don't, we don't wage war like we do. He said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Everybody say power. 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 That word power is the word dunamis. It It speaks of the word dynamite. It is explosive power that you and I have. It's, It's a divine power. It's a supernatural power. It's a power that dwells inside us. It is the same power, the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us. And we have that power. It's accessible to us. For what? For kicking around and having a good Sunday at church? No. No. He says, our power is to demolish strongholds. What are strongholds? We've talked about it in this series. that It is wrong patterns of thinking. It is the lies we have believed. It's the things that we've told ourselves over and over again. It's the inner critic. It's the labels that have been put on us. It is wrong patterns of thinking. He goes on to say, we demolish every, or we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So in other words, everything that exalts itself against the way God says that we're supposed to do this war, we we tear them down. Nope, we're not going to do that. We're not going to live the way the world does. We're not going to think the way the world does. We are going to demolish those strongholds by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, we take captive every thought, every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. Today, I wanna talk to you about how to defeat your negative thoughts. How do you defeat your negative thoughts? Now, in this series, of course, we've been talking about your mind, and we've been talking about how powerful it is. In fact, it's probably the most powerful thing on this earth outside of the power of God himself. It is a very, very powerful thing. God made it to be that way. And we've been talking about how your brain works, how your, your brain has, that science is, is now talking about your brain in a way that is called neuroplasticity and that your brain can be changed through these things called neural pathways. In other words, when you think something, that thought travels down a neural pathway in your brain. And the more often you think that thing itself, the easier it becomes to think that thing again. So if you think that you're beautiful and you still look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself, I'm beautiful, I am beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, (laughs) guess what? You're going to start to think that you're beautiful every time you think that and every time you declare that. It gets easier and easier to say, I'm beautiful. On the other side, 
If you're like, man, I am so ugly, who could love me? I am just not a looker. There is nothing attractive about me. And we keep on making these statements about ourselves that are in the negative. Guess what you start to believe? That you aren't attractive. That nobody could love you. How could they? You're so ugly. These are the things you believe about yourself, and it impacts the way you live your life. It's important that you understand that. So today what I want to do is expand on the idea uh, and, and introduce an idea called the cognitive biases. Cognitive biases. This is a part of your brain, or some of you might know them as mental filters. Mental filters. A cognitive bias, if you're taking notes, is a mistaken reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. I'll say it again. It's a mistake in reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. What cognitive bias is, is it is a mental filter. It is a mental framework that you have in your mind that impacts how you're going to think. So, for example, if you grew up in a really rough home uh, and, and uh, you'll develop a filter or a framework that you begin to look at life through, right? Like if you grew up that way, so like, for example, if you grew up around abusive men, then you, come to, you might have come to believe that all men are abusive because the one man that you knew, whether it was your father or a teacher, an uncle, somebody, a sibling, somebody was abusive to you. Now you've come to believe like all men are going to be abusive. Or I'll tell you this, this is where a lot of racist tendencies spring from because we at some point know somebody or had a personal encounter with somebody whose skin color was different than ours and then everybody who had that skin color that hurt us or offended us in some way, shape, or form has now become the enemy. They've become somebody who will hurt us again and every single person is that way. It's Racist tendencies spring from these kind of things. Or if your parents, you grew up and your parents said that rich people are bad, that as you become an adult and you've gotten successful in life and you've started to make money, you start to feel bad, you start to feel shame because you are succeeding and you have money in the bank. Or, or maybe, maybe you're like me. I grew up eating lots of fish sticks. Anybody grow up eating lots of fish sticks? Man. And as an adult... I associated eating lots of fish sticks with being poor because we didn't have a whole lot of money all in the early days. Hot pot pies, there you go. Love me, love me some government cheese. Come on, somebody, hey. <laughs> Apparently this is yelling out Sunday, so just whatever you're feeling. <laughs> no, but I love it. Like it's Seriously, these things that you grew up eating, I associated with being poor, and so I have, as an adult, I do not eat them. I don't even eat filet of fish. Uh, you know, from, from McDonald's, like for real. And, uh, and tartar sauce is just not my friend for different reasons. Um, bad, bad experiences with it. But I don't eat it, and I never fed it to my kids either. I just, I be, because I had so much of it as, as a kid, and I've just kind of associated it wrong. I've got a, a filter in my brain. I've got a framework for fish sticks equals poor. And the filters you have, well, my friends, they shape how you see life. They shape exactly how you're going to see your relationships, how you see yourself in this world. And, and it's interesting, though, that, that all you have to do in order to, to shift that is to change the filter. You have to shift your filter because if you change your filter, you'll change how you feel. Now, I don't know about you guys, but in modern-day technology and Instagram and, and, and Snapchat world, which I don't, I don't have Snapchat. I don't quite understand that whole thing. Uh, I have TikTok, though. And so I'm not known for using filters on anything, but I thought, well, if that's true, then I'm going to apply a filter and see if it'll change the way I feel. Take a look. So I'm outside of uh, the church building, and I thought, you know, let's try on some of these filters, some filters from TikTok. Now, I don't normally do this, but we're going to kind of see if any of these filters can make me look better. You be the judge. All right, this first one is old person filter or it's this aging I don't, I don't know kind of feel like I already look like this well this one doesn't feel like it makes me look any better if anything it makes me look like whiny I don't know kind of silly it's fun though this one's just called inverted I don't know if I look better but I don't know my beard looks kind of crazy man it's, wow mm. 
Okay, now this one's cool. This one, I feel like I'm a like a Disney character of some sort. I'm not sure that I like my eyes looking like this all the time, but it does make my skin look softer and, yeah, I don't know. This is as expected. It's a clown face. That, that's what I look like. <laughs> and this one is as expected as well. It just makes little sparkers all around me. It doesn't really change my image. <laughs> this one's called G6. I don't know, I guess maybe I look better. Um, I don't know. Okay, this one's crazy. This one's called Fantasy. Who wants to look like this? Like, I mean, I look like a lobster, right? I, I don't know. Oh, hello. This one was that. That's beauty mode. Look at that. My cheeks are rosy. I got some eyelashes going on here. All right. Beauty mode. Hey, Shanda. Hey, girl. Call me. <laughs> These are just silly. Yeah, they're silly. So, so that last one did change how I felt, feeling a little saucy, I guess. <laughs> hey, Shanda. Hey, girl. She's not going to call me. <laughs> Cognitive bias, guys. It's a, it's, a, it's a filter. It's a default filter that we have that we apply to everything. It's a pre-wired interpretation. It's how we start to see ourselves and the world around us. It's why, you know, two people respond differently, very differently to the same situation, right? Uh, for example, because it's not the facts that are different. It's really just the filter and how we look at things. So, like, you can come to somebody and bring the same level of correction to them on the job, and one person is offended. How dare you? I can't believe you would speak to me that way. You don't, you don't get to talk to me that way. I'm doing my best out here. I'm working hard. And then the other person that, that receives that correction thanks you for it because they understand that that correction is going to make them better, right? It's, it's the same set of facts, but it's two very different filters. Or, or maybe, maybe it's the it's same, same group of people, and you walk into church, and all you look around and see is hypocrites, hypocrites. They're all hypocrites. Every single one of them, they're hypocrites. Can't stand this music. And the same person walks into the exact same service and is loving everybody they're meeting. They're meeting everybody with smiles. They're not judging them. They feel love. They're giving love back. It's like this nice connection. The music is great. They feel the presence of God. Same circumstances, same situation, two very different filters. Or uh, if you would just want to go like, hey, into your world right now, a lot of us read and watch or, or pay attention to different news sources same facts, same information, but based on your filter will determine how you hear that. Like back in, in the pen, and I'm going to tread carefully here, okay? I'm not offering an opinion on it. I'm just saying, for example, some of you believe that, hey, the vaccine is going to kill us all, and they're microchipping us. And others of you were like, this is the end-all, be-all. You need to get it or we're going to kill you, right? Like it was, uh, it, was, it was very divisive. And I'm not weighing in one way or the other. Oh, it got really quiet in here, very uncomfortable. I feel you. It's cool. But you understand it's not that the facts are different, it's that the filter is different. You can take in the same information as everyone else and see it different than anyone else. This happened in, in uh, uh, the end of the Israelites' journey across the desert. They had been wandering for 40 years and Moses had been leading them. And then when they got to the promised land, Moses sent 12, sent 12 guys into the promised land to scout it out. Two of them came back and said, oh, this place is great. It's beautiful, big grapes, we're going to eat well. This place is truly a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't understand what that means, really, but that's, that's, that just means that it was a good place, right? Good place to be. But there was 10, 10 of them that came back and said, the land is filled with giants. We're never going to be able to overcome them. They're, they're going to devour us. In fact, they went on to say, we felt as tiny as grasshoppers, and they said the same thing too. Which, by the way, none of them actually had any encounters with any of these giants. They didn't have a conversation with them to know that they were looking down on them as if they were tiny grasshoppers. We'll crush you with our foot. No, they didn't have that conversation. They just, they came to believe it. They told themselves that, and they projected it onto other people. That's a filter, guys. That's a cognitive bias. Said they heard them confirm that grasshopper feeling. Now, the facts weren't any different. The land was the land. The people were the people. 
but there were two very different filters that they were looking at the world through. One of them was looking at it through the, through the, the filter of faith, and the other was looking at it through the filter of fear. That's the filter. You just have to change the filter. It's also not just the filter, but it's also the frame. The same situation and how you frame it matters. It determines ultimately how you see a situation. And in therapy, one of the things that, that I learned, because many of you know I've talked in this series, I, in 2019 I went through some intensive therapy that actually saved my life. And one of the tools that I learned in therapy is something called reframing. Reframing. Reframing allows you to change your relationship with something, change your relationship with the past generally, because most of us are living our lives from a point of pain, and since you can't change the past and you can't control the future, what I had to learn to do was change my relationship with the past through something called reframing and to surrender control to God. Now, that's on a whole different message. That'll be for next week, but but, but this week, I want to talk to you about reframing, because you cannot change your past or your circumstances. You can reframe that circumstance. You can reframe that relationship. Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationship by changing its meaning. For example, if some of you grew up uh, in a home and you had a rough relationship with one of your parents, let's just say you had a rough relationship with your father. Maybe you came out of that relationship, you moved out, and you wound up resenting him. You wound up uh, angry at him. You wound up distant from him. You wound up having some firm boundaries in place so that you didn't continue to get hurt, limited interactions with him. And as a result, maybe, maybe you feel distant from all kinds of men in your life. But if you were to choose to reframe that situation, you could reframe that relationship a couple ways. One of them is by getting curious. Mm. getting curious, wondering, instead of what's wrong with you, we start to wonder, what happened to you? Because what do we know about people that hurt people? Hurt people hurt people. And if we get a little curious, we begin to dive in. We begin to understand, my goodness, you know, they came from an abusive household too. They came into this marriage relationship, into this relationship as a parent with their kids, not being properly equipped with the tools to know how to love and how to interact. Maybe not even knowing what real love looked like. Thinking that parenting was more manipulation than it was leading. I'm going to control you by force. And so they come into the relationship that way, and you start to begin to get a clearer picture of the abuse that they suffered, whether that was verbal or physical. You begin to look at their background and see their family line, too, and say they never had a chance. And as your parent, they struggled. They loved you. They just didn't know how to be any better. Oh. And when you gain perspective on that, it doesn't make what happened to you and between you and them okay. Don't misunderstand but you can reframe that relationship by stepping into a place of empathy and understanding and provide grace. Mm, it's a powerful thing. Reframe it. Reframe. When we begin to see things with different eyes, it changes everything. It can change that relationship. It can change the relationship with your past pain, with that person. The facts don't change, guys. What happened, happened, but you reframe it. You know, I, I had a guy years ago, he was, uh, uh, he attended our church, and, and uh, he came to me, and, and um, he, he came to Jesus like all of us did. He had issues. I got issues, and you got them too, so don't judge this guy as we sit and talk about him. But, but he came to me, and part of his story was he had court-ordered anger management. Ironically enough, he was upset about that. And he came to me, and he said, Aaron, I don't understand. He said, I gave my life to Jesus. Doesn't that just, don't all the, all the consequences of life just lift and go away? I was like, absolutely not. No, if you've got court-ordered anger management, you need to, there's probably a good reason for that. You probably need to go. He said, I just, I don't understand, though. I'm, I'm, he's just angry. And I said, let me, let me just help you for a second. I said, what if instead of being 
upset about having to go to anger management, you realize that God may have a purpose in it for you. That there may be something you need to learn in anger management. Or how about this? There may be a person that God has sent you there to reach. Ooh, his shoulders dropped. He relaxed. He reframed it. And buddy, the next Sunday, you know what he came back? He said, you're never going to believe this. I said, try me. He said, I went into that anger management class looking for who God had for me. He said, and I met the person. He said, I got to share Jesus with them, and I got to pray with them. And I said, come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about, right? Reframe it. Facts didn't change. He still had to go to anger management. But what changed was his perspective on why he was there and what he could achieve. He found an eternal purpose and reframed it. So you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. We talk about this all, all the time in our E plus R equals O formula, right? The E is the event. You can't control the event. The event's going to happen. But you can determine what the outcome looks like by controlling your response to that event. You can't control what's happening to you. You can control your response. You can control in this situation and how we're talking about it today how you frame it. So if you think about your life and you think, man, I've got all these expectations I had for my life. Like for me, uh, one of the expectations I had for myself by the time I was 30, young people, listen up. Uh, I thought I was gonna be a millionaire by the time I was 30. Now I had no plan on how to get there, but that was my expectation. Well, I'm, I've told everybody in high school, I'm gonna be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. I wasn't a millionaire, I'm still not. Breaks my heart. It's cool. But if you think about your life and, and you, you have some expectations in your life that, that are just not happening, right? The things that you hoped for. You, you wanted something, but you're experiencing the exact opposite of it right now. If that's you, maybe you can relate. Instead of, instead of being something that you thought you would be at this point in your life, you, you're the polar opposite of it. Or the things you thought you would do with your life, the impact you thought you would make. You're not doing it yet, and even though you keep trying to, you can't seem to make it happen. You, you can't seem to get that job. You can't seem to have that relationship or, or the thing that you want to have. You want to have a happy home, and you want to have a spouse, and you want to have 2.3 children. If that's still the number you're supposed to have, I can't remember, but that, for a long time ago, that's what it was, was, and I didn't understand what a .3 child was, but anyway... <laughs> You feel like, feel like, you know what, maybe along this journey I was supposed to have some help and some people alongside me, but, that's, but I don't seem to have any help and nobody will point me in the right direction to accomplish my hopes and my dreams. Or maybe you're somebody who's worked really hard. You went to school, you got the education, and you're having trouble breaking into that job, or maybe you find yourself currently overqualified for the job that you hoped you would get into. Maybe you dreamed you'd have a great marriage, but... That's not what you have today. Instead, what you, you, know, you married your sweetheart, your high school sweetheart, and, and, and you're, you're, you've just been a one person. This has been my one true love all my life, and you find yourself divorced, or maybe you find yourself single, and you didn't think you'd be single for this long, and you don't understand. Or maybe you thought you'd be out of debt by now, or a millionaire like I thought. Or maybe you thought you would stay as skinny as you were in high school. Come on, somebody. Maybe you thought you would have started a business and sold it by now and be on your way to starting your second business or, and have tons of cash. Or maybe you thought your kids would be this and that they would play this kind of sports and they would go to that kind of school and none of that is happening. And you wonder why you're not where you want to be. That at this point in your life, you expected something different, something better. And if you can ever relate to any of that at all, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament, suffered a lot. He can totally relate to that feeling because I think Paul, Paul knew what he was here for. Once he realized that his job was to take the good news that Jesus died for each and every single one of us, paid the price for our sins. Once he learned that it was his job to take that information to every single non-Jewish people, which by the way, that's the rest of the entire world. And when you consider the entire known world at that time, that would have been the Roman Empire. So where does Paul want to go? Well, he wants to get to the heart of it all, y'all. He wants to get up into Rome, and he's got himself an audience with Caesar. But when he requests an audience with Caesar, what he doesn't realize is that means he's going to be in chains as a prisoner, and he waits years in Rome, in chains, to see Caesar. He thought he was going to go there and he was going to preach. 
and that Caesar was going to repent. He thought that all of Rome, there, there was going to be this massive outpouring of the Spirit. And he gets there, and he's in chains. He's in a prison. And Paul could have framed that situation like this in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 13. By the way, uh, this is, uh, you won't find this translation anywhere out there. This is the whiny baby loser boy version. And... Um, he says, now, I, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me really sucks. As a result of all the hell I've been through, I'm quitting Grow Group and never going back to Simple Church. That's oddly specific. I feel very attacked. You won't find that translation in any of your Bibles, by the way. That's a whiny baby loser boy version. Now, he could have said that, and I think you and I, somewhere along the lines, we've said something similar, Right? We, we complain, we blame, we defend, we get into that space. Paul didn't do any of that. What he did was he reframed the situation, and here's what he actually said. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to the church. He says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to destroy all my hopes and dreams. Nope. Hey, what's happened to me has actually served to push me further than I thought I was going to be before. It has served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm here on purpose, with purpose. Come on, somebody. He reframes his situation. He says, I'm here and I'm in chains for Christ. What most people would think is bad, Paul has reframed it in his mind and says this is good because Paul realizes that he is spending Eight-hour shifts throughout the day with different Roman guards chained to them. And talk about a captive audience, people that have to sit there and listen to you talk about Jesus. And he's like, hey, you don't understand. I'm winning them two people at a time. Two people at a time. Eight-hour shifts a day telling people about Jesus. Come on, this is the way that I'm going to do it. This is the way that God's going to do it. And watch this. He goes on in verse 14, and he says, And because of my chains, I don't know that many of us would celebrate our chains. I don't think we do. But I think if we reframe it, we can find there's some things to celebrate. He said, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, now he's talking about the brothers and sisters, those that are Christians there in Rome, watch what he says about them. They've become confident in the Lord and dare, because there was a threat, by the way, to their lives. They dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Man, it's not the facts that are different. It's how you frame it, guys. It's how we frame it. Today, you can reframe your story. Today, you can reframe your relationship. There is a war that is raging in our minds and there's tough stuff going on in each and every single one of our lives. Today during our morning huddle, I shared, you know, my wife and I are moving this week. Our bodies are whooped. I'm every bit of 43 years old, y'all. We've been packing and loading and moving, and no, I don't need any help. We've got other movers we paid for. Thank you. I love you. God bless you. But we've been doing some pre-move stuff. And then she, she injures herself in kickball this week. Now, how you injure yourself in kickball is an interesting story. But she did it. And several people have managed to do that. We've got another injury in here right now. Somebody's got a broken hand. There it is. There it is. Broken fingers. Man, kickball is some serious stuff. Y'all ought to come out. It's on Thursday nights. Our team is just really doing great. Anyway, that's not in my notes. Let's get back to it, Aaron. It's my ADD brain. I just went all over the place there. <laughs> we got a lot of stuff going on, though. Tough stuff. We've got bad health reports. We've got career changes. We've got challenges in our careers. We got bad news on the news. We've got issues in our marriages. Some of y'all, your football team's having a tough season, but not OSU, baby. OH. Yeah. We all got tough stuff. We got tough stuff. Much of life is great, but the smallest issues cause us to struggle mentally and take us out of God's will for us. Which, by the way, being out of God's will can simply just look like not having His peace. He wants you to have his peace. He wants you to have his joy, his strength. He wants you to have those things. Reframing can help us make sure that we win the war in our minds by allowing God to change our thinking, to renew our minds and transform our lives. So I'm going to give you three simple tools that will help you to reframe things. First of all is to thank God for what didn't happen. Thank God for what didn't happen. 
Y'all, every single one of us has got some stuff that could have happened in our lives. <coughs> and what we have is the opportunity <coughs> to cough. <coughs> Help me, Jesus. The devil's mad today. Come on, somebody. And thank God for what didn't happen. There's this girl. She uh, takes her mom and dad and sits them down. Says, we need to talk. Which, by the way, if anybody ever calls you or texts you and says, hey, we need to talk, you just say back to them as spicy as they said it to you. You say, yeah, we do. <laughs> that way they think there's something that you need to talk to them about too. I hate that. Don't you ever call me and say we need to talk. You better tell me. <laughs> anyway, sits mom and dad down. That's a true story too. Sits mom and dad down. Says, Mom, Dad, listen, I, I met this guy at the bar. We hit it off. Went back to my place. We wound up hooking up, and I'm pregnant. The good news is, is that his probation is over in a year. And at that point, he'll start looking for a job. But since he doesn't have any way to make money, he's just going to move right in right away. And uh, we, we can't afford getting married yet. Uh, but he's considering marrying me. We, we probably need to live with you guys for a while. And that's it. Mom and dad sat for a minute and just kind of let all that process. And she goes, uh, actually, uh, none of that actually happened. She said, I just got a D on my chemistry exam, and I wanted you to know it could be a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can thank God for what didn't happen, right? <laughs> We can thank God that, you know, hey, maybe we're having a rough week, and maybe, maybe we missed some of the goals at work, which meant that we didn't get our bonus that month. But you know what? You can also just, instead of lamenting, hey, oh, I'm not going to get my bonus, that I, I didn't lose my job. At least I didn't lose my job. Or, or maybe, maybe you got into a, an accident, you got into a, a wreck, and, 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 you know, the car is totaled, but everybody in the vehicles are fine. And that's something to be thankful for. We, we don't, we, at least no one was hurt. Yes, it's going to be expensive, but this is what we have insurance for. It'll take care of all of it, right? But at least the person wasn't hurt. In the grand scheme of things, some of the stuff that gets us off of our rockers is just not stuff that's that big of a deal. Now, there are some things that are a big deal, but most things just aren't. And yet it robs us of our joy and of our peace. We've got to learn to reframe things if we are to stay firmly in God's will. You want to be in God's will. You want a state of peace. You want that joy. You can reframe, excuse me, thank him for what didn't happen. Second thing you can do is practice pre-framing. Practice pre-framing. Pre-framing is deciding in advance how you'll frame a situation if encountered. Boy, those kids are having a good time back there today, aren't they? God bless them and all our kids' leaders. Woo. We can decide in advance how you'll frame a situation if you encounter it. Our thoughts or our frameworks shape our experience. Some of you walk into some things and you're like, man, I don't want to do this. This is just going to be hard. And guess what? It will be. Others of you walk into the same situation and go, this is going to be great. I'm going to be with my family. It's going to be a lot of fun. And guess what? It is. Some of, you, some of you are like, you know what, I, I don't know if I can face another day with my family, my extended family, and having, having Thanksgiving with them and holidays with them. You know what, if that's how you walk into it, guess what, you're going to struggle to experience that. But if you walk in going, you know what, I don't get to see them, and yes, they're a little quirky, but I only have to see them for a few hours, and I really do love them, and it is such a joy. I do always walk away refreshed and renewed. But guess what, that's what you're going to experience. You can choose to pre-frame some things. I had a relationship that, uh, that went sour and some people that I loved deeply, and we tried to reconcile the relationship. We really, really did. We worked hard on it. We, we hoped that we both would forgive and forget and, and that the, re the friendship would ultimately be restored. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And, and you, know, you poured so much into it and poured years of life into this relationship. When it didn't go back to the way that it was, it honestly hurt me. And I had to think about it. I had to actually think, what am I going to do when I run into these people? The, we, we did the hard work of, of forgiving one another and having the conversations, but 
we still aren't back to where we were, and it feels awkward to me. What am I going to do when I see them out in public because they live in my community? To be honest, what I was more concerned about is my face because my face says everything. I can't hide my emotions. And I, so I talked to my wife. I said, I have to practice what face I'm going to make when I see them out in public. And, it's, and it was this, I decided it was this one. Well, hey. I'm not even making this up. I decided that my face needed to reflect not the pain that was in my heart over the loss of the relationship, but the real love that I have inside for them. And I worried about my faith, and so I, my face, and I pre-framed it so that when I saw them, and that day did come, and I did just that. And, uh, you know, it was great. Relationship didn't turn out how I wanted. And I was hurt by that, but I still loved them. I pre-framed it. You can pre-frame the circumstances in your life. You're going to decide how you will think about things. You're going to th- decide, how am I going to think about failures? One of the ways you can pre-frame failures is deciding, like, you know what? Every successful person is standing on a pile of failures. Think about that. Every successful person that you idolize and admire, the difference between you and them oftentimes is that they allow failure to drive them forward, whereas we allow failures to hold us back. You can pre-frame your mistakes. You can pre-frame your failures. You can choose, I'm going to learn from them instead. So what do we do? We thank God for what didn't happen. We pre-frame it. And then the third thing we need to learn to do is to look for God's goodness. Look for God's goodness. Man, this is so important. Because you're going to find what you're looking for. If you're looking for good, you're going to find it. If you're looking for bad, you're going to find it. If you're looking for reasons not to like people, you're going to find it. If you're looking for things to not like your job, you're going to find it. If you're looking for reasons that Christians aren't, uh, aren't all that, you're going to find it. You're absolutely going to find it. If you're looking to find peace in the midst of a storm, you can. If you want to see the best in people, you better believe it. You sure can. If you want to know purpose when everything is upside down in your world, you can. If you want to experience joy no matter what, you can. You absolutely can. Are you, what are you looking for? Are you looking for God's goodness in each and every single one of the situations that you face and the relationships that you're in? Are you looking for it? Because you're going to find what you're looking for. It's like the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. Every day, a vulture gets up, and what is it looking for? Dead things. That's right. And guess what a vulture finds every single day? Dead stuff. Yeah. What is a hummingbird looking for? It's, it's looking for sweet stuff. It's looking for nectar. And every day, what does it find? It finds the sweet stuff every single day. You want to see bad, negative. You want to see challenges. It'll lead you to be depressed, man, because you're, you're going to find it. But if you want to see good in people, you want to see the positive in the situation, you want to see opportunities, you'll find those too. Here's the truth. God is still good no matter what's going on in your life. God is still all-powerful. He, In fact, Paul said about him, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ever ask or think. Mm, I like that. He's our healer. He's our redeemer. He is the lover of our souls. He is our father. He is the God of peace. He is ever-present. And you'll see that if you look for it. If you look for it in your life, you'll find it. Cognitive reframing. If you work with a good therapist, they'll teach you this. But ultimately, cognitive reframing, if you apply it to your life, will empower you to decide the meaning of it. Instead, and, and, and I would even challenge you that instead of just letting yourself define meaning for your life, let Jesus define it for you. Let God's word define and decide what, what it is you're to be looking for. You know, I, I would tell you that reframing it because of what I went through in 2019 really helped me. Because for a lot of you, you would say the worst year of your life was probably 2020 when everything changed. It was challenging. It was difficult. For me, the worst year of my life was 2019. 
where I was dealing with suicidal ideations, where I was struggling, and I needed some intense help, and I got some. But, it, but in that, that, that intensive therapy that I experienced, that changed my life. And then I come out of that intensive therapy, and I go to get my, my back surgery done to, to have a spinal fusion done. Supposed to be in the hospital three days. I wind up in there five days and nearly dying. That's a pretty bad year. I mean, the nurse came in and said I was swimming or circling the drain. I was like, I was like, I was ready to die. I'm having conversations with my wife about what to do with my. Do you know where the life insurance policies are? Yes, dear. Do you know where all this stuff? We're pretty sure I was, I was gone. That's pretty bad stuff. 2020 comes along, and for the most part. The rest of the world starts experiencing depression for the very first time in their life because they're stuck. They don't know how to move their lives forward. We didn't have a lot of information. We're all scared, limited, quarantine, loss of, of church, loss of community, loss of proximity and intimacy. That is tough stuff. But I went through what I went through in 2019 and I was given a whole bunch of tools Reframing was one of those tools. And I started walking through 2020 like it was a cakewalk, y'all. Like it wasn't anything bothering me. But I feel like God allowed me, because I'm choosing to reframe my relationship with that year, I believe God allowed me to go through that so that I could help everybody else. So that I could be a voice in a dark and difficult time. And I, I told God, I said, I'll go speak wherever you want me to speak. I'll travel. I'll go wherever you'll have me go. And I'll preach this message. I'll offer people hope in a dark place. I'll do whatever you have me to do. And he gave me multiple opportunities to share that story, to share about my own depression from the year before. I continue to speak and talk at conferences and train brand new pastors on how to stay emotionally and mentally healthy. It's awesome. Now, now there's a pathway for me and I'm taking additional training at, at the same place where I experienced that intensive therapy. And I get to help people get to a place where they are mentally and spiritually and relationally healthy way faster as a result of what I experienced in 2019. What a gift. You say, Aaron, but you nearly died. Aaron, you, that was a dark place. Yeah, it's 2022. I don't know if you've noticed that and I'm still around. Yeah. God is good, and he's opening doors for me, that, that as a result of that, I get invited into, into meetings to speak. I get invited to conferences and to retreats, to speak to pastors, to speak to married couples, to speak to leaders, and to help them. We're still coming out of it, and mental health is one of the number one challenges in the world today, y'all. But I feel like God put me on a journey to be here for such a time as this. What about you? What about you? You know, for me, on top of all that, 2020 turned into a year of incredible blessings. Quarantine turned into lots of family game nights. I learned to paint with my wife and my daughter like Bob Ross. That was cool. Our team here developed killer kids content that people around the world watched because a lot of churches didn't respond in that way. Like we grew an in influence in our city the mayor called me and said, Aaron, what do we do? What do we do? We've never been through anything like this. And I said, I don't know, man. I ought to put together a Google form and we give people an opportunity to tell us what they need and we'll serve them that way. Great idea. The city put it out there for us. And the churches of the city got to respond as a result. We grew an in influence. In my house, we found beautiful ways to make birthdays and graduations special, despite the fact that we were limited to just being in our home with each other. Well, in, in our church, we went from having church to having no location to having online only. And people still said yes to Jesus. There's so many blessings that came from that difficult time. See, I'm looking for the goodness of God. Are you looking? Are you looking for where God is still moving, where God is doing things in your life. Because see, you can see God's goodness in all things if you choose to reframe it. Funny story. There's this king and this servant. And the servant has, has this really positive attitude. It's quite obnoxious, but the king and the servant are good friends. 
They do everything together, and no matter what happens, the servant always responds, this is good. No matter what, this is good. So one day the king and the servant are out hunting, and they see a lion coming, and, and the king, king's terrified, and he says to the servant, there's a lion. The servant says, this is good. And the king says, you got a gun? He says, yep, I got a gun. So he hands him the gun. King loads the gun up, goes to fire it, shoots. Gun misfires, blows the king's thumb off. And his servant looks at him and goes, this is good. Well, the king was infuriated, so he took his servant and he threw him into prison. To which the servant responded, this is good. Sometime later, the king goes out and he's hunting again and he gets tracked down by a cannibalistic community. They capture him. And they're about to stick their forks in and devour him, have a meal out of him. And they notice that his thumb is blown off and they're superstitious that if he's not whole, they can't eat him. So they release the king, send him back out into the wild. The king has this epiphany and realizes this was good. So he goes to his friend in prison and apologizes to him. He's been there for years. He says, I'm so sorry. I was angry. And the servant said to him, this is good. The king says, how can this be good? You've been in prison for these two years. He said, my king, if I hadn't been in prison, I would have been out there with you. And I'd have been eating whole for sure. This is good. God works in all things for good. We can reject our unhealthy thoughts. Get rid of our default frameworks. You're not a loser. You're not a failure. Reframe things. We can't sit by and passively receive our circumstances. We need to stand up and actively interpret them. What I mean by that is, Let's not interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. Let's interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. It's different. And I don't know about you, but Paul said it. And for each of us, what has happened to all of us has served to advance the gospel. Remember, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then... You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Father, we're here before you today. We need your help. All this starts with awareness. So first, my prayer is that you give us awareness. Awareness of our own thoughts. Awareness of our discontent. Awareness of our grumbling. Of our our negativity. Help us be aware of it, God. And then once we're aware of it, how it is impacting us and where it's flowing into the areas of our lives, God, I pray that you would help us to begin to reframe the things that are going on in our lives. Lord, that as we choose to renew our minds by looking into your word, we can see your goodness. (laughs) Today, God, we thank you for the things that didn't happen. There's so much that could have happened to us, God, through every circumstance of our life that didn't. Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you, Father, that we are still here. Lord, we pray that you help us to pre-frame things, that may we not be just caught up in the stuff that's going on in our lives, but that we would get caught up in your goodness. Help us to see things the way that you see them. Help us, God, on this journey to win the battle in our minds. We want to be victorious, and we know that we are in Christ, and we are already more than conquerors and that he's already overcome the world, and so shall we. Be with us, Lord, as we, as we fight in new ways. And as we continue in this moment of prayer, everybody keeping your eyes closed, head bowed, I, I want to just share that, that one of the things that is needed for you to reframe your life and begin looking for the goodness of God is a relationship with God. See, Christianity isn't about what you know. You can know a whole bunch of Bible verses, but do you know the God of the Bible? That's what gets you into heaven. It's a relationship. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And for us, Jesus said clearly about the way into heaven is that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. 
say, Aaron, what do I need to do? Do I need to clean up my act? Do I need to be perfect? Do I need to come back next week when I you know, didn't party over the weekend and hadn't made some mistakes? No. No, no. Jesus knows what you did last night. He's not mad at you. He knows why. What, what's going on in your world today. He knows the burdens that you carry. He knows what's on your mind. And he would not reject you at all. In fact, he, he, every bit of shame that you've carried, he wants to release you of that. The chains from your past, he wants to release you from that. He wants you to experience a full and fulfilled life here on this earth and eternity in heaven. And today, if you're ready to, to experience that, a full and fulfilled life, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to have your sins washed clean, have a new start, have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. It starts with a prayer. Paul told us that if we believed in our hearts and confessed with our mouths that Jesus was Lord, it means he's in charge from here on out. Not that you'll be perfect or that you'll try harder, but that you'll just follow Jesus. That if you're willing to do that, you'll be saved. And so today, I'm gonna pray a prayer, and if you wanna be counted on that prayer, join me in the prayer, but I'd love to know if that's you making a commitment today. Would you just slip up your hand right now and say, Aaron, that's me. Nobody's looking around. We're not gonna make fun of you. In fact, we're gonna celebrate you. Just slide your hand up and say, that's me. I'm doing it today. I'm gonna say yes. I'm not gonna do this perfectly, but I'm gonna do it. Yeah, thanks. Church, let's pray together. Everybody pray out loud. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Today I make you Lord of my life. Amen. Man, the Bible says that heaven's having a party for you. Simple Church, celebrate with those who said yes to Jesus today. Come on. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.